Welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast, where we dive in deep to all things business, wellness, creativity, and activism for artists and entrepreneurs. We talk with impactful, female-driven companies and founders for an inside look at the entrepreneurial experience, where you'll come away with tangible steps to elevate your business. Are you ready? I'm your host, Phoebe Sherman, founder of Girl Gang Craft, artist and designer and marketing obsessed. We're here to learn together how to expand our revenue, implement new organizational techniques, and cultivate best business practices as we work towards creating a life doing what we love. Let's get started. Hello, creatives. Before we get started on today's episode with an amazing special guest, I want to talk about our Click membership. Calling all makers, healers, small business owners, coaches, and entrepreneurs. Are you looking to meet other creatives while you explore best business practices? Then join the GGC Click, our membership platform for creative entrepreneurs. Come learn and create community alongside other founders while you take advantage of exclusive members-only offerings like live tech demos, guest workshops, and in-real-life events. Yes, pandemic is over, so we have some real live events. You'll also receive special discounts on our educational offerings like our Level Up Academy and our Small Biz Summit, hoping to be in person in 2022. So Click Membership is $20 a month and features several biz-enhancing events each quarter. So this year, the rest of the year features special guest workshops led by Sprout Law on trademarks and fun legal stuff that's super important to know about for your business. We have Pinterest coming in to talk about best business practices for pinning and growing your business. We all know that Pinterest has, the content has longevity over Instagram. So that content is a little bit more evergreen. So it's really important that we start to utilize Pinterest. I'm not a Pinterest expert. That's why we're bringing in Pinterest themselves to come talk about best business practices for pinning. We have classes on establishing partnerships for product and service-based businesses, which I'll be teaching. I'll also be teaching mapping out your year. Yeah. So I know it's right in this moment of the podcast, we're June, but we should be thinking about our wheel of the year for next year. Okay. This is going to create a lot of clarity and build structure around what sort of projects you're working on, preparing for launches, et cetera. Plus we have a manifestation workshop led by witch writer and healer Rariwa. I fell in love with their class at the witches conference. They're so incredible. And they also spoke at our small business summit. We will also be hosting our first in real life picnic this July. So this is the only time to sign up until next year. So you can sign up until July 13th at midnight. You will not be able to sign up for the membership until end of January of next year. And you can't cancel at any time. So it's $20 a month. It will be an auto payment and you can cancel at any time, but you can't sign up. Let's say you want to sign up for just the October workshop or whatever. You're not, you cannot sign up for that October workshop unless you opt in now. So are you in? You can apply now at girlgangcraft.com slash click. And if you love this podcast, please consider leaving a review. I got so many people coming up to me at the craft fair saying, this podcast changed my life. It got me through the pandemic. I was, I was laid off. And so this really was able to help me build my business. And I live for that. That helps us keep doing what we do. But more importantly, it helps us with the the Apple algorithm, right? We want to reach more 
and new entrepreneurs. So if you have the time, maybe right now you pause the podcast and you go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be so helpful. And you could consider leaving really tangible feedback, perhaps like your favorite episode or an instance where the podcast really helped you or an instance where your business grew in a specific way because of the podcast. Plus, we will be picking some lucky winners from the reviews to give them a 15-minute audit of their social media with me. So make sure you also leave your Instagram username in your review. And it really means everything. So please consider pausing the podcast right now and going to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Hello, creatives. Welcome to Girl Gang Craft, the podcast. So I'm really excited today because we have Tiffany from Chunk Shop on the podcast. And she's so nice because, to be honest, we lost three podcast episodes (laughs) a little bit ago. So Tiffany's back and she's re recording with us. And it's amazing because, you know, sometimes tech stuff happens and you have to decide if how you're going to handle it. So Tiffany was nice enough to return on the podcast. So let's talk to you a little bit about what Tiffany does. So Tiffany launched chunks in the spring of 2019 after realizing how difficult it was to find a cute, high quality hair clip within two years, her one woman operation grew to a multi six figure business operated by a team of six women and carried in over 200 retail shops worldwide, including urban outfitters, Bando and Lisa says, Ga. Chunks designs are inspired by Tiffany's passions for colors, culture, nostalgic feelings, and art, like the Memphis design movement. Chunks' mission is to manufacture as responsibly as possible and to dispel the stigma and stereotypes of Chinese manufacturing. Welcome to the podcast, Tiffany. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. I so appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So why hair pieces? Well, I feel like there's a lot of cute hair stuff on the market now, but even in like 20, you know, like late 2018, I think was when I was really coming up with this concept. I could not find a cute hair clip for the life of me. So it started out as just like a need that I had, which is also always like, you know, a great way to start a business or have a proof of concept. Amazing. So how, how does it feel then to be now with hair clips when there are other hair clips on the market? Do you feel like you have established your brand to sort of stand out in against your competitors or, you know, we're all about community over competition here, but so, so how does it feel? Do you, do you stand out from, from those other hair clips, different kinds of hair clips? Tell us more about that. Yeah, I think I was lucky at the time when I started Chunks because I saw the gap in the market. So there wasn't like a ton of brands that were doing like hair accessories at the time. So I was kind of lucky in that like I was kind of one of the first in this new space of, you know, like cute hair clips. And then I think the way that we've been able to differentiate ourselves is still kind of you know, we're not the run of the mill, like cute clips. You can still get like cute, like, you know, very, I don't know, just hair clips, but they're a different vibe. You know, I think our clips are still quirkier and more colorful and they have their own kind of feel and point of view to them. So 
Sorry, that was my five-year-old. <laughs> does she? Does your five-year-old wear the clips too? Yeah, he's a oh. boy, but he like still very much <laughs> loves chunks and like tells everybody Great. about them. Makes me TikToks. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You want to have your family, just your, your marketers for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So yeah, if, if you all have never seen Tiffany's hair clips, please run go to chunk shops. We'll give you all that information at the end of the podcast episode and in our show notes, but they're definitely super fun, neon colors, loud, like impactful. And I mean, since this is a business podcast, she does an amazing job marketing her products. They're very just loud. They're loud. They're totally loud. They're totally independent. I mean, you have your cute little nails right now too. I mean, I'm sure those match with all your clips. (laughs) I feel like last time you had good nails too. Yeah. We just launched some new styles. So the day before they dropped, I like went and got a manicure that we're kind of all inspired by all the clips. Oh my God. So fun. Checker, little smiley faces, little wavies. Yeah. Beautiful. And you can go and get manicures now. I know. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thank goodness. Okay. So what were you doing before chunks? So my previous business, I started in 2012 and I had this idea to dye ombre tights, which every time I say that, it sounds like such a random, weird thing. I know. (laughs) But yeah, literally like hosiery tights. And I hand dyed them like ombre or gradient from like fading from one color to another. And yeah, I just put them up on Etsy, like on a whim, thinking like a few of my friends would buy them. And within like a few days, it went bonkers. It was 2012. So yeah, that's almost 10 years ago. Holy crap. But Instagram was like, not even really a Instagram was a baby and Tumblr was really big. And I remember, you know, some people put it on their Tumblr. Some people put it on their Pinterest and it just like made the rounds. And in 2012 going viral was still like kind of a big deal. And so, yeah, like within a couple of weeks, it just, I felt like everyone in the world had seen them and I was getting requests for like TV and like big magazines and, you know, all these like crazy, amazing fan art too. It was just like, it was mind blowing anyway. So yeah, that went super viral and it kept me really busy for a few years. I like just had orders backed up. So it was a really actually a difficult time in my life because it was just so overwhelming. It was, I was like drowning in orders and it was this, this product that I only like I could make. They were really difficult to make. So I was able to hire some assistance, but it was just still like such a difficult thing to make. But yeah, I spent the next six years from 2012 to 2018 doing that. And I got really immersed in like that whole maker world. So doing all the craft shows, doing, you know, all the renegades and West coast crafts and all that stuff. And yeah, it was a fun time. It was a tiring time. And around 2018, no, 2017, actually I had a kid in 2015. (laughs) So I think once you have a kid, you realize like, oh, you can't really go at the same pace. You can't, you know, you're, you definitely realize like 
physically, you just can't, at least I, I realized that I couldn't continue to do that. It wasn't sustainable for me. So I think I spent the next few years from like 2015 to 2017, just trying everything under the sun to kind of figure out what my next thing was. I tried apparel, like cut and sew apparel, other kind of like soft good accessories, jewelry. Yeah. And art in 2018, I just made art for a year. So I tried everything. So did you stop the tights then somewhere around then? I kept doing the tights. Yeah. Till the very end. And then at that point, like, yeah, I had had assistants that were like kind of helping me with the diet dyeing and stuff like that. So I definitely had help and a studio and the business was still doing fairly well. So it just gave me some kind of free time and extra money to experiment. Okay. And then you were trying jewelry as well and apparel. And then what happened? And then let's see, I was just searching. Like I was actively just searching for that thing that kind of lit me up or you know, clarity of like what I was going to do next. So sometimes you just have to let that run its course, like let that exploration run its course. You just have to kind of like put that energy out to the universe and like tell them that you're looking and then try all the things and eventually you'll like hit the thing. Right. But I do think like 2018, when I started making art, I was like, okay, this is, this feels really good. I feel like I'm on the right path and like, I'm almost like returning to what I know is true about myself. You know, I think like the art that I was making was very much kind of a return to the art I was making as a kid. It was a lot of textile art, a lot of weaving, which was literally all I did when I was eight-year-old me. So it was really therapeutic in that way of just like coming back to an origin point and finding some clarity through that. And then while I was doing that, it also just making art like or claiming, you know, that identity as being an artist is really confidence boosting, I feel like, because if you can own that identity as an artist, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) But yeah, at that time, the hair clip idea really came into my head and I marinated on it for a while. I think whenever I have an idea like that, I really put it through the ringer and see if, you know, it makes sense in all the ways that I want it to make sense. Are the margins good? Can I produce this item? Like, you know, is the production and manufacturing there? Is the price point good? Who's, yeah, who's like, who else is in the market doing this thing, you know? So all those kind of like questions that I kind of ran through, I was like, oh yeah, this is perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. It's like a fun kind of fashion accessory, which I always had gravitated towards fashion accessories. So it's just fun for me. It was just like, yeah, perfect. It's something I could design, but I could work with a manufacturer. The price point was perfect. The kind of market place was perfect because there was not many people doing this thing. So yeah, I was like, there's no reason to not do it. So it started just really small. I made a decision to finish up my previous business called BZR. I finished that up in the holiday season of 2018 and then just started chunks 
in like May of 2019. So what was your first clip then? It was like a rectangle square claw that was made out of that kind of like speckled pattern that just looks like lots of little, you know, colors and stuff are in there. And now I feel like it's really common to see that kind of acetate with like lots of colors in there. But even a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, this is special. This is like really cool, you know? So that was, I had about maybe a dozen styles. At oh, so first. you started with a dozen styles. Yeah. That's a, yeah okay. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of like a small offering of a few different packs, like Brett packs, and then a couple claws, and then a couple like French clips. So just, yeah, a little bit, a few different styles of like each type of clip. How was your business originally perceived or received maybe? How was it received? (laughs) It was, it was pretty good from the start. I mean, I kind of was lucky enough where I had somewhere to, I had something to work off of because my previous business, I felt like a lot of the clientele, the lot of the retailers were still kind of the same. So I kind of just started there. I started with the retailers that I already had formed relationships with. And I was like, Hey, I'm not doing BZR anymore, but look what I'm doing now. And so that transition was pretty, pretty good. And so I started out, yeah, just with like, started an Instagram, a few e-com orders trickling through, and then just like working my old retailers. And then I worked with a sales rep for a while. She helped me kind of, you know, like find, reach out to some, some new ones, but pretty soon after that, I really started getting people interested in carrying me and I no longer really had to, you know, reach out to people anymore. So that momentum kind of started building little by little. And I'm, I'm a product person, like I'm a designer. And so I feel like when I am really leaning into that strength, I have been lucky enough where I don't have to like really sell things too hard, (laughs) which is beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) It's always the dream. I love that. Okay. So let's back up a second and talk about your materials and your your manufacturing process. So what is acetate? So acetate is what's called a bioplastic. It's like plastic, but it's not a plastic. And the biggest differentiation between those two is that plastic is made from petroleum, which is a fossil fuel. And that's, yeah, it's called a conventional plastic. Bioplastic, specifically acetate, is made from a plant-based, what's called cellulose acetate. So yeah, it's it's made out of like a plant-based material and then like acetic acid, which is which acts as a plasticizer, but it has much more of a biodegradable property than conventional plastic. Conventional plastic basically will exist until the end of time, which is insane. And although we think that, you know, a lot of plastic can be recycled, that's actually quite a misconception. Only a very small amount of plastic can be recycled at all. And once it's recycled the first time around, the quality of the plastic degrades a lot. So you're not really able to like continue its life after it's been recycled once. Acetate is actually really recyclable. All of the waste that is produced 
you know, from cutting the hair clips gets recycled into new acetate. So that's really good. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's basically what acetate is. And so how did you decide that you wanted to manufacture in China versus the U.S. or any other country? Yeah. Well, I had a little bit of experience. I was making those sunglasses that I have now on my website, but I developed that style while I was doing BZR. So I had experience working with Chinese manufacturers and I just always, to be honest, like really enjoyed working with them. They were just super on it. Like you can't beat the quality, the price, the timeframes, the efficiency, the customer service. Like it was just, I've always had a great experience. And I also, you know, kind of like cut my teeth in the maker world. And I really kind of butt up against this weird, like stigma of made in China being kind of like a negative thing. So I kind of have that contrarian personality sometimes of if like someone tells me that something is like wrong, I'm like, oh, but is it, is it, maybe I'm just going to go do that thing, you know, or if someone's like, not, if everyone's, if most people are doing like this one thing, I'm going to be like, oh, let me go over here to where no one is and like do this thing. Yeah. I just always had a good experience manufacturing in China and I didn't want to feel like ashamed of that or anything. So I just made that part of my messaging and luckily it actually really resonated with a lot of people. So yeah, it's something I've been kind of like diving deeper into. It's just like why we have this weird stigma about it and where that comes from and kind of fighting it. Yeah. And to further like throw in something to the equation too, I think specifically in our community, right? The maker community, there's also just a general stigma of like not making the thing yourself almost or with your own hands. Like, right. You're designing it. You have your hands and eyes and every part of the process, but the maker community, I know for a lot of our community, they even have a hard time thinking about the possibility of not making everything themselves. And I know you were just saying you were, you were tired, you were tired, dying all of these types by yourself. Right. So to come up with a new process, right. Relieved you personally, you're able to make a lot more orders and you can have more design time to design and do things that you like and with your family and stuff. So I don't know, you want to touch more on that at all? Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, even if you make something by hand and sell it at a craft fair, like those beads or those pieces or those components of it are probably coming from China. So it's a little bit deceiving. And, you know, I realized like we probably just don't know enough about manufacturing as a whole, like, unless you kind of work in manufacturing, you don't, it's a pretty opaque thing to understand the kind of like supply chain and how, how much it's part of our lives. Our phone, our computer, everything. (laughs) Totally. I mean, our food even like, yeah, if you have any piece of electronics, like it's just so ubiquitous. And also it's not a black and white 
issue, right? Like you can't ever just cast anything as bad and especially something so complex as manufacturing and especially Chinese manufacturing. It's like so nuanced, you know, you're talking about like national economies, like cultural nuances, just like, you know, we have sweatshops in the US also, and we have like severely underpaid workers in the US also, every country in the world, not just China. And I know that like, when you when people logically think about think about it, like you don't have to know that much about manufacturing to know you can't just like make these blanket statements. But I think we just like, it kind of is just on autopilot for a lot of us, you know, to assume. So yeah, it's kind of worth us taking a look at it again and being like, oh, wait, yeah, yeah. Let me think about this for like an extra few seconds because yeah, it's just much more complex issue than we assume that it is. So like, is there a way to figure out if factories that you're working with, how they pay their workers or what the conditions are like? How do you, how do you look into that? Yeah, that's a little bit trickier. I was actually just having this discussion with my manufacturers. Yeah, because we get asked that a fair amount, just like, how do you know your workers are getting paid fair wages? And that's like, that's such a complicated question. <laughs> that does not have a black and white answer. Because again, you're talking about, well, what is the what is a living wage? What is a living wage in another country? And that is like, a lot of it's kind of cultural, because they have a completely different work ethic and their kind of their infrastructure is different. Like a lot of the workers live at their factories and then they go home for like, you know, a couple months during Chinese new year. And that might seem so like weird to us, but that's totally normal for them. It's also like, you know, China is huge So what a worker gets paid in Shanghai can't really equate to what a worker is making in a more like rural or small town setting, just like the US. It's like minimum wage in New York City versus like Oklahoma or wherever, you know, it's apples and oranges. So it's like, it's really hard to kind of like answer that question easily. I would say like, The only thing you can really do is like go there and see for yourself. But even then it's kind of, it's going to be tricky. But I think like China is a huge economy and they are a top power. I think like either maybe even this year or within the next few years, their GDP will exceed ours. So. I think we're also kind of stuck in this mentality of like, the US is the top country in the world. So we have to like, look after these poorer countries and make sure their workers are taken care of. And sometimes I find that like a little bit condescending that we feel that we have to like, be on human rights watch, because 
they're doing pretty well. <laughs> and they actually have like pretty regulated, regulated like industries and that solely just check factories, you know, that solely just look at workers' wages and rights and factory conditions and quality control and all that stuff because manufacturing is such a big part of their economy. So they're actually pretty structured with that kind of stuff. Thank you for all of that insight. I think it's fascinating to think about it that way too. I mean, there's the white savior complex sort of coming in and like, you know, getting rid of, you know, third world countries. Like, what does that even mean anymore? It's some, you know, it's some bullshit. So thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. So, okay. So what advice do you have for people who are interested in getting things manufactured Mm. in China or overseas period? What sort of things, how do people find factories at A? And then what sort of things do you look for when you're looking for compatibility or samples? I know that's a big question. Yeah, (laughs) totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all connected. I mean, we found our manufacturers through Alibaba. And so I've spent a lot of time in Alibaba and talking to different manufacturers and like figuring out a good way to navigate that platform even. I know it's like, it can be so overwhelming. I think the most important thing you can do is really look into the companies that you're working with. I think there's been much more of a demand in the past couple of years for Alibaba to be more transparent or allow more transparency with the factories. So even from like a couple of years ago, Alibaba has made a lot of improvements in just like the company information. And yeah, that's available. Like when you go on the company's or the factory's profile, you know, they'll have like all their assessments on there. And all their like company profile info. And I definitely think when people are like searching on Alibaba, our tendency, especially if we're new to it, is just to like search by product or search for the item that they want. But what you want to do is actually search for the company that you want to work for. So just like with anything else, you start a dialogue with, you know, the companies that look promising. And a lot of it's just kind of like using your gut. You know, these are like human beings also. And so you kind of get a sense whether they're being transparent or not and how communicative they're being with you and how much information they're able to provide you. Our manufacturers are amazing in that way. Like we ask them a million questions. Like we are on WhatsApp, like all hours of the day with them. They are like sending us video and like a lot of process information. Like I was talking to them the other night about like workers wages and how like on a bigger picture, like how, how workers get paid in China, you know? So we had like a whole discussion about that. And I really try to look for that when I'm like trying to find new vendors is like, how open are they to communicating and how open are they to like getting updates on their assessments and stuff. There are a couple third-party like companies that just do factory assessments. And so we also work with them to like, make sure that we can account for, you know, factory conditions and things like that. That's cool. Okay. So samples, 
you know, okay. So we're working on, I'll just say it. We're working on socks right now. We're hoping mm-hmm. to make some socks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it's like they give you a price per unit, right? And then depending on how many you order, and then they give you a sample price. And then of course, sample shipping, right? So you're paying like, you know, it was like $70 for me to get one sock to make sure it's good. Right. So tell us a little bit about your sample process. Yeah, it's pretty similar, especially if you are vetting new vendors, you really just have to have a little bit of cash up front to pay for like a few different samples. That is, yeah. But then once you kind of like establish a relationship with a vendor, then you kind of, you know, you get the feel for them and they'll, if you're a good customer, they'll hook you up with some free samples and stuff. But, but yeah, definitely that sampling process, like, is super important for product development and making sure that you get everything just right. You know? So would you like order multiple samples of the same thing? If it (sighs) comes back that you don't like it. So let's say you get one back and something isn't right. If it's like a quick change, do you sort of just trust them to do that and produce Mm. the whole thing? Or do you like ask for another sample? Yeah. If it's like a totally different category or like, you know, like for headbands, we just launched several headbands. So for that, I really actually looked around to other vendors and and got some samples of different types of headbands because I wanted to see like construction wise, like how, what are the ways that you can make headbands? And then also quality wise, like what's the difference between this vendor's headband and this vendor's headband? Oh, well, this, this vendor, they can electroplate their like wires, like better. They're just higher quality or like, you know, it's, yeah, it's usually just looking for like quality and construction. So we're going to a small commercial break because we want to tell you about our small biz directory. So you can find our small biz directory at girlgangcraft.com slash shop small. You can shop from 60 plus small female forward brands from all over the U.S. with categories like jewelry, vintage, apparel, CBD, sweets, and more. So Seasonal Steep is run by Hannah, who works for GGC. She's also my bestie. And it's an experiential subscription box that honors the wheel of the year with a potent combination of herbal medicine, astrology, and tarot. Part tea ceremony, part ritual, and part online class. Use coupon code GGC10 for 10% off your next box at SeasonalSteep.com. And you can follow at SeasonalSteep. Highly recommend checking out Seasonal Steep. The boxes are beautiful. She makes these beautiful silk tarot altar cloths that she screen prints and dyes with the actual herb that is being, I'll say, celebrated each quarter. So it's a really beautiful offering. Check that out. Make it work. Craft is STEM. Coupon code GGC15 for 15% off at makeitworkcrafts.com. Follow on Instagram, makeitwork.la. Also the perfect package gummy. The perfect package does exist. Champagne flavored penis gummies for any occasion. These are really cool and really yummy. You all great for like a bachelorette party or a bachelor party. Enter code GGC free ship for free shipping. And you can find those at theperfectgummy.com or follow at the perfect package gummy on Instagram. So head to girlgangcraft.com slash shop small and get some goodies and services for yourself or someone you love all while supporting small businesses. 
what are your headbands made out of? Because they look like a little bit bendy. Are the, is that acetate also? Yeah, they're acetate, but they have like a shaping wire on the inside. Okay. Yeah, but okay. they're still acetate, mostly acetate. And then they have like little teeth on the top. And then like, it just kind of depends on the design. If it's like a new type of design where I'm using this like construction method I've never used before. I will definitely make sure they send me those samples. Sometimes you just can't substitute like seeing something in person. But if it's like a product that I already carry and I just need to make it in a different colorway, I'll be like, just send me photos. That's fine. (laughs) You know, I also have like a huge box of all the swatches that they have. And sometimes I have to pay extra for that. And that's like so worth it just to have as much as you can like in person to see. I'm very much like a tactile person. So as much of the things that I can get to see in person, I want. So I have like a big box of like different hair clip samples so I can see if they can construct things a certain way. And I have a big box of swatches and a big box of like print samples so I can see like how thick this stock is compared to this stock. So switching gears like a tiny bit. So like when Mm -hmm. you're planning for your wheel of the year, I mean, since you're a fashion brand, essentially, are you releasing collections for a certain time of the year and coordinating that with retail? And what does your lead time look like on that? Yeah, it's funny. I was just talking about this with a friend, another like fashion friend. She has a fashion label and she does, you know, cut and sew apparel. And I went to fashion school. I went to Parsons in New York is like the most fashiony fashion school. And the funny thing is like the whole idea of like seasons and collections and that calendar, like just never sunk into my brain. I just couldn't get on board with it. Like it didn't make sense to me. That's not how I ever shopped. And how do you predict things for next summer? I don't understand that. How can you predict trends for like next summer's line already? I don't know. (laughs) Well, so much of the fashion world is based on like, you know, there's, there's whole companies that they just do trend forecasting for fashion, for, you know, fashion labels. So they will literally take what's coming off the runway and like make all these reports of like, okay, in 2021 resort, these colors are going to be popular, you know? So then wild. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's very structured and I just, yeah, I think my brain just like never functioned that way. And honestly, I don't think like hair clips even really need a season. So I lucked out on that. Like I quickly realized after I left school, I didn't really care about close that much. (laughs) And just the whole industry, because it was so structured and in this way that didn't make sense to me. So, and I also really love working with hard goods. So like I always gravitated towards like style and accessories. And after school, I moved to LA to explore like streetwear because I was really into streetwear. So It was always about like style for me and not so much like working in the fashion industry that is like such a, it's such a beast of a thing and you have to do it the way that they're doing it. And yeah, I just never, (laughs) never was interested in that. So you would say your clips are seasonless basically. 
Yeah, totally. I just design when I have a good idea for something. (laughs) And so do you sort of stick to that then for your wholesale model? Like, are you reaching out to people for the holidays now, for instance, or is that not really something you're paying attention to these Uh, days? I don't even, yeah, I don't even pay attention to that stuff. (laughs) Great. Love it. (laughs) Yeah. It's just not how my brain works. I think as I've gotten older, I've like come to terms or to peace with that, just like leaning into how my brain works and what I'm good at instead of feeling like I should be doing this or I should be making a holiday collection or I should, you know, you just have to lean into the things that like light you up and then the people will come. (laughs) I love that. That is, yeah, that's what's happened. Like I just make things that hopefully like exude joy. And then those retailers that other people, you know, try so hard to like get their attention, like they come to me, urban outfitters, they definitely hit us up. I think like six months after we started, like in 2019. So we've been with them for a while. Lisa says, Ga, Bando, they all came to us. So, (laughs) so yeah, I've just been lucky with that. That's awesome. Okay. What does your day-to-day look like? And what is your team like these days? Yeah. So I spent the first almost exactly a year just doing everything by myself. It was just me. And then this time last year, like June, 2020 was when I made my first hire. And that was a shipping person. That's typically the first hire that like a small business needs, like a product you know, based small business, because I realized like shipping was just starting to take over like for half my time, basically. So that was the first hire I made. Shortly after that, I hired a kind of virtual assistant slash customer service slash like inbox manager person. And she's like still my right hand person. She's great. Yeah. Yeah, she's still with me and she's actually kind of moving out of customer service and helping me a lot with managing production. So that's really key. And then shortly after her, no, starting, yeah. So 2020, I tapped out of 2020 with two two team members. And then the beginning of 2021, I added a wholesale manager fulfilling for like big companies, especially fulfilling for like urban outfitters, such a pain in the ass. (laughs) And it takes so much extra work and just managing wholesale is like a whole nother job. So that was a key hire I made in January or February. And are these all contractors or full-time employees? They started out contract. And then I restructured my business in 2021 to an S corp and then brought them on as employees and yeah, shipping my like right-hand gal and my wholesale manager are all pretty much full-time. And then since then I've hired another shipping person. I just hired a social media manager I had a graphic design intern for a few months that needed school credit and then she just ended school. So we brought her on as a part-time employee. And then we also have like a shipping assistant 
who like really just helps fold boxes and fold tissue and like count inventory and put together barrette packs and stuff like that. So we have a team of like seven now, which is why. Yeah. Congratulations. I know. (laughs) So, okay. Let's talk about marketing a little bit because That is something that you are an expert at. And I mean, I love that you just say, I'm creating this thing that can bring people joy and people are going to show up to me. And that's beautiful. That's like, that's some witchy shit right there. But yes, and you do an amazing job showcasing your products. So can you tell us a little bit about what goes into your social media strategy and a little bit about all these videos that you're creating as well? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like before you even mentioned marketing, I was like, I think that's it. I think we've talked about everything. <laughs> you said marketing. I was nope. like, oh yeah, that's like a whole nother Whole other. <laughs> but something I've really come to love, I think in my previous business, I saw marketing as this kind of like, oh, it's like so much work and I'm not good at it. And it was kind of self-defeating because like, I think everyone's like, good at it's for me it's really just like sharing what I'm doing and everyone can be good at that it's just like this mindset shift I had to make when I was starting chunks I was talking to my brother a lot who's a musician based out of Atlanta and he's really great at marketing so I was talking to him a lot and just kind of like really reframing how I thought of marketing it doesn't have to be this like this extra job you have to hire for or this like extra thing you have to learn how to do especially you know as like a solopreneur like it really just can be you sharing what you're doing and like putting that energy out there like putting out the energy to to whoever's like listening to you, even if there's like two people who like you, you know, like if they're engaging with you on social media, then engage right back to them and listen to what they're saying. And like, you know, just receive the energy that they're giving you and then like give it back. And that really like amplifies. I mean, this is really getting into some woo woo shit, but like <laughs> that's here really, for it. <laughs> yeah, that's like really my slant on marketing. Is like you putting out that energy, that juju that like makes you light up and people will give it back to you in the form of money. (laughs) So, okay. So what is it like to hand that over to someone else then? Are you guys sort of doing hybrid where you're sort of involved or what does that look like? Yeah, it was really hard to even think about handing that over because Instagram had become kind of my baby. Like I, you know, I feel like my brand is very much me and Instagram is, has always been our hub. And I've really gotten kind of like the way I do things is kind of set. So yeah, we're still kind of in the process of handing off stuff to her. But the first thing I handed off was just like maintenance, just like daily Instagram maintenance, like checking help helping me to check dms and like a lot of dms are just customer service so then you have to you know we like screenshot it and put it on slack to this person and just you know and then making sure that we like leave comments to our like scroll and like leave comments and engage with you know the other people that we're following and also the people that are in our comments and 
reposting stories and making new stories. And it's just, that's a lot. It's a lot. I could easily do two hours of Instagram without even posting anything, you know, just like going through all the, all the stuff, all the messages and engaging with people. But so are I, you still making content then? Yeah, I'm still making content. I'm still doing all my posts right now. I just handed off like the day-to-day, you know, the DMs, the comments and stuff to her. And then we just talked about this today, actually. I think I'm going to hold on to like the posts and captions for now a little bit because I'm also going to hand off influencer stuff to her and then also TikTok. Because I think TikTok is like, I haven't been the most consistent with that, but I've seen the power of TikTok and a lot of it's just like being consistent and just, yeah, I want to put like, I want to put, make a TikTok a day, which seems easy maybe, but it's actually a lot lot of like work and thought and yeah, TikTok, we've already kind of gotten some good traction on there. And I think it's also a little bit of like reaching a new audience on TikTok. I feel like we're pretty well known in our corner of the Instagram world. And yeah, TikTok is just like a perfect place to kind of continue to grow our following. So So if they're doing TikTok for you, what does that look like then? All product sort of story, like product videos? Because I know you were in a lot of the videos before. Yeah. So what does that switch look like? We're going to kind of try a little bit of everything. I mean, I'm still kind of in the testing, experimenting phase with TikTok. And there's so many ways to do it. Like, my my brother, he repeats a lot of the kind of same format. And you'll see a lot of TikTokers who kind of repeat the same format. And they have like massive followings. And then there's some people who like, you know, are able to really grasp all the new filters and like be super creative and do something new every time. So it's just like, it's just like what works for you. But we... can you say more about the format? What do you mean by keeping the same format? Like my brother's a musician. So a lot of his format will just be like making beats so that people can duet his Mm -hmm. beats. And then he he'll like, he'll like do reaction videos to like their duets, you know, it's like, it's same kind of format. Yeah. So, but obviously you can get super creative with TikTok. And um, I think ours definitely we've, we've, we've gotten a pretty good variety of like, you know, how we show our stuff and we're still kind of just playing around and having fun with it. But yeah, sometimes it's nice to just show up real quick and show them like, look what just came in the pack, like our box today and do like a quick unboxing or a quick like pack and order with me or introduce, you know, our team or try something on, like I get a lot of requests for like, can you try on the headband? So we're making a TikTok right now for that. And then I was just looking at some other TikTok accounts today. And there's some brands that I was really amused by earlier today because they're just like so random. (laughs) Like their products, there's this one, there's this like, yeah, there's this one brand that I just find endlessly amusing and they're so bro-y. 
And it's like a lot of their TikToks and content is like very random and doesn't even necessarily have anything to do with the products, but it kind of aligns in that, like you see the culture, they're showing you the culture that they're a part of. What's um, the brand? Chinatown Market. Okay. I've heard of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have like a massive following, like almost a million people just on Instagram, but they just have like, go check them out after <laughs> you get home. Okay. Chinatown what? Chinatown Market. Okay. Great. Yeah. Great. It's like, it's just super broy and random and like funny and goofy, but it's charming too. It's charming and it's effective. Yeah. So, so yeah. would you say you, do you rely on organic content mostly, or do you guys run any ads? We actually just for the first time started an ad run on Facebook and Instagram. I'm just kind of dipping my toe in to see what it's like, but you know, I've, I've kind of still always had like a anti-advertising thing, but I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm seeing like how it goes, but still very much relying on organic content. I think that's always the best kind of content and it's always worked for me. So, yeah. So how do you find the best way for you to learn things? Because it sounds like you're pretty hands-on, but I know we talked about last time that you also invested, you invest in yourself a lot. You've invested in masterminds and classes and courses. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your learning process. I do a lot of like, I'm secretly, well, I guess not so secretly a kind of self-development junkie. (laughs) I love like, that's really the only kind of content I consume like podcasts and audiobooks of like self-development or like marketing or mindset kind of stuff. For me, that's that's what feeds me and that's what like gets my energy up is just stuff around like clarity my clarity of vision and like my mindset about certain things. And just like leaning into what I love to do and my strengths. So yeah, I think that's like how I learn the most audiobooks and podcasts. (laughs) And then some classes and courses as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I haven't purchased like any modules lately, but I definitely did when I started Chunks for sure. Like even modules on like Instagram and stuff like that just to like learn some of the platforms or like, I, I think I purchased one on Pinterest cause I don't use Pinterest. So I was like, let me just, you know, buy a little course on it. And it was helpful. I don't buy many modules. Now I do invest in like business coaches. I think that's helpful just to have a sounding board. And I've, also put together some masterminds. I've I've paid for masterminds and I've also recently just realized it's better to put my own together because it's it's tricky especially if you're in kind of a space where it's very specific, it's very niche. You can't just really be lumped into like a a mastermind with other brands that kind of don't align with yours totally. I don't know. You know, I wanted to put together a mastermind of like people that I would personally hang out with. 
So I've done that a couple different times and some of them, you know, like go on for a few months, some of them longer, just kind of depends on what I need at the time. And like, I, I really love building community. That's one thing I've realized like is super important when you own a business, especially, you know, you're working by yourself. It's so necessary to like have a community and have peers that you can use as a sounding board and have support and like, just know your pains, know your struggles. And you have to actively go out and find that for yourself. Yes, 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 yes. To all of that. Okay. Well, this has been amazing. Any like last words for our creative community, any advice for, you know, just growth or believing, believing in your business, any advice about that? Oh my gosh. That's like a whole nother can. What advice for creatives just starting out? Sure. That's great. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I don't know. I'm brain farting on this because there's just so (laughs) many. There's like so many. I mean, lean into what you're good at. Lean into what you love to do. Really. That's like literally the most important thing. I feel like all throughout my 20s, I like was just constantly telling myself all the things I should be doing, which really sucks. It's very hard because I wasn't leaning into the things that really lit me up. I just like had all these false expectations for myself. And part of that is, you know, like as we get older, you just, it's part of the journey, right? But I do think like, Being proactive in your own kind of personal growth is really important. Therapy. I mean, therapy for everyone, but even business owners has been really game changing for me, actually. I think that was like a huge part of why I'm where I am today, actually. So everyone go get some therapy, (laughs) go to therapy. If you take one thing away from this podcast episode, go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tiffany, this has been so amazing. Can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yeah. Instagram's definitely like where I like to hang out the most. So you can find me at chunks.shop. We're also on TikTok at chunks.shop and our website is chunks.shop. So I made it easy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tiffany. Yeah. Thanks so much, Phoebe. It was nice to see you again. Yay. (laughs) Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Girl Gang Craft podcast. Head to girlgangcraft.com slash podcast for show notes and more. See you next time.